Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I want to start in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, so you can go ahead and kind of be turning there. Uh, boy, I'm excited about the word that I've got for you today. Some, some real interesting things I really think uh, can, can help you in your walk today, tomorrow, in the future, years to come. I just think that it, it could be a blessing to you if you let God move in your life. Amen? Okay, uh, and so the children of Israel here in Exodus 16... They had already had all the plagues. The plagues were done. They had crossed the Red Sea, James. They had gone over into, uh, away from the Egyptians, not in the promised land, but they had crossed in the Red Sea, and they were now in the desertous area that was leading to Sinai, okay? Pretty soon they would, they would reach uh, Mount Sinai, and they were hungry, okay? And so they, they, they started talking to Moses and Aaron. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. Here is our people hungry. Wow, what a shocker. Wow, boy. <laughs> Rabbi uh, talks a lot about food. You know, it's, it's something that our people have dealt with. Okay, uh, Exodus 16, verse 3. B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, said to them, said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the hand of Adonai in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full. But you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this entire congregation with hunger. Wow. Then Adonai said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. The people will go out and gather a day's portion every day, so that I can test them to find out whether they will walk according to my Torah or not. So on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather yom yom, day by day. Okay, very interesting. So, so this, this, this is intense, y'all. This is uh, interesting. Uh, two and a half to three million of our people were leaving Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had yet to reach Shavuot. They had yet to reach Mount Sinai. And they were hungry. Okay, listen. It wasn't that God was uh, unhappy or displeased that they asked for food. Okay, God knows they needed food. God understood that. Uh, what he was not particularly happy about was that they complained about being freed from slavery. <laughs> you know, that, that's what he didn't particularly appreciate. After all the plagues, after the opening of the Red Sea, okay, but friends, God knew they needed something to eat. 
This was two and a half to three million people in the Sinai Peninsula. Listen, I've been to the Sinai Peninsula. It's a little shady right now. I wouldn't take people there, but many years ago I was there and uh, was all through the Sinai Peninsula. And let me tell you, friends, it's barren. There's nothing there. It's desertous. And when I say desertous, people automatically in their heads, they think of uh, like the Sahara. But that's not the desert in Israel and the Sinai. The deserts uh, in that area are rocky deserts. So think of it more as like the Southwest United States with rocks and stuff, but just no vegetation. Uh, We were in Israel uh, a a month ago, and we drove through the the Negev Desert, which is which is very close to the Sinai Desert. They they kiss each other, and uh, the Negev Desert. I mean, sometimes you we were just driving and driving, didn't see even a weed. It was barren, barren, barren. That's like a a lot of what the Sinai is. So on a very practical level, you can understand two and a half to three million people, they were hungry. They needed something to eat. God knew they needed something to eat, y'all. God knew that. And so what do the scripture says? It says that he sent bread from heaven. Wow, that's wild, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it was like the dew, uh, it said, on the rocks. And each morning they would go out and they would gather all the manna that they wanted. And it even said God even kind of made it so nice for them in as much as on uh, Fridays they got a double portion that they could store. Typically, they, they, they're not supposed to store this stuff. You just use that day's portion, what you need. But, uh, but on Friday, they got a double portion. Why? Because that way they wouldn't have to go out and gather it on Shabbat. They would have enough for the next day on Shabbat naturally. That's why they got the double portion. So literally bread from heaven. You think about that for just a minute. Absolutely amazing. God himself would feed the children of Israel. God himself would feed the children of Israel until they uh, arrived to the promised land. Until they, And listen, the, the manna not... The manna may not have been exactly what the children of Israel wanted. Okay, they might have liked a little uh, variety, uh, maybe a little uh, cookies and cream, and uh, maybe some pizza. I understand. I under- but, but at least God provided for their needs. He provided for their needs. Amen. And, and it was a very kind and generous thing that God did in providing for them. Amen. I have a uh, <laughs> I have a very interesting relationship, you could say, with cycles. With cycles, okay. Never got into motorcycles. I think, uh, thank thankfully for my sake. But but when it but when I was little, and I mean really little, like really little little, I used to ride my tricycle. And uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, quite a sight. And I used to ride our tricycle down our driveway. And, uh, and looking at it today, uh, you'd, you'd not think if you went back to the house I grew up in as a little kid, you wouldn't think it's, it's that particularly steep. But for a little bitty kid on a, on a tricycle, the driveway was like, wow. I mean, it was almost like straight. I mean, for, for a kid on a, a tricycle, it's not exactly... Uh, all-terrain vehicle, okay? And, and I used to 
And, and so it, it was steep enough that there was really, there was really no way for me to stop. Okay. Until I hit the chain link fence at the bottom, you understand? Now that, that stopped me every time. You know, I'd, so, I, so I would go down and I'd get at the top of that driveway and man, I'd go and pretty soon, you know, the wheels start going and your feet, you, they, you can't keep, put the feet on the, on the cycle, you know? And they're just, they're spinning too fast. Your feet can't get on them. And you're like, whoa! And then, whoa! But it's so much fun, man. That ride down the, the driveway is awesome, man. I'm like, yeah, it's great! You know, uh, until the end. Boom! Boy, you hit that chain link fence. Uh, last I checked, uh, it was been a few years, there's still some of my uh, paint on the chain link fence uh, because I did this more than once. Why? Because it was just too much fun. It was too much fun. And I would, uh, my, my parents tell me that I would come in oftentimes with a skin nose, you know, when I'd fall off the, the bike and whatever. Okay, okay, so fair enough. And, and then I remember when I transitioned to a regular bicycle. Uh, the the, the two-wheel variety. I say the two-wheel variety, but I had these training wheels on, on the back of the, the bicycle, and uh, I was quite unsteady at first, you know, as you are when you try to learn to ride a bicycle. So I had my training wheels, Ben, and uh, unashamedly, I had them uh, initially, but, but eventually, of course, I got the hang of it and started riding the bicycle. It was a lot of fun. So that was back in the day, yeah, back in the kid day. I remember, as I'm reminiscing, which I don't, don't often do, I remember in the earliest days of Beth Hillel, our congregation, I don't tell a lot of old Beth Hillel stories, but I, but I have a little uh, piece of one today. I remember in the oldest of oldest days of Bethel, I'm talking about when I was a kid, when I see, you know, people, sometimes the, the, the speaker jokes, oh yeah, it was back when I was a kid. Oh, <laughs> really? No, 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 I was a little kid. I mean, I was, was before I was a teenager, I was a little kid. And, uh, and Bethel was just getting going. And we were, we were, we had just rented a storefront on Buford Highway which is where the, we had been uh, in a different place and we had been in some homes, but eventually we rented a place on Buford Highway down in Chambly uh, and, uh, and we started Friday night services at the time. And I remember a dear man uh, by the name of Hezekiah Jacobson. What a great name, huh? You know, with a name like Hezekiah Jacobson. Wow, you know the guy. The guy's got to be good, and obviously the guy's got to be Jewish. I mean, Hezekiah Jacobson. I mean, come on, it's it's almost cliche, all right. And he and he was a Messianic Jew who was raised Orthodox, uh, and uh, and he was a scholar in so many different areas, uh, in uh, especially liturgy, especially Jewish liturgy. Uh, and I remember Hezekiah Jacobson. Again, I was a little kid at the time, but friends, let me tell you something. Even then, he was very old. <laughs> he was old. I mean, he was, uh, and he seemed old to me, but he really was. He was an old guy way back then. Uh, and he was only at Bethel because he was just, he was very much older. And, uh, and, and he was only at Bethel for a few years in those early, early, early formative years. But he helped put together the basics 
of our Shabbat service, our service order. And, and it, it was very, very helpful because he, he helped us put the structure because he was an expert in this. So he helped put together the, the serve, the, our very first service order that we had at Bethel El. Really, a lot of credit goes to Hezekiah Jacobson of blessed memory. <laughs> interesting memories, in, interesting things you think about, you know? I remember, <laughs> I remember the first time that I was out to, to lunch with my mother when she did something that she had never done before. I'd been to lunch with, you know, I, you go to lunch, of course, you know, I'm talking about, of course, you grow up in the house and stuff, and obviously your, your mom does whatever and takes care of you and everything. But this was, this was later, this was after I'd graduated college. And I remember I was, I was already working for the Coca-Cola company. And I remember that she and I went out to lunch somewhere. And something happened that had never happened before when my mom and I had lunch. And uh, what it was, was it was at the end of the lunch, she told the server to give the bill to me. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of shocked at first. I'm like, what? I'm thinking in my head, this isn't how it's supposed to work, right? It, it's supposed to work. Then mom and dad pay the bill, right? That's always how it's kind of gone here. It's the food. You guys have paid the bill. You know, it's all. I'll never forget, man. She said, she said, to, and she didn't ask me. She just said to the server, yes, yes, uh, the gentleman here will be paying for lunch today. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's me. I guess it's me. There's nobody else here. Yes, yes, that's me, the, the gentleman. And I'm thinking, what is going on? What is happening here? I said, I'll never forget that. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Let's go to Joshua chapter 5, please. Joshua 5. <laughs> Great memories, Ines. Some of you remember my mom of blessed memory. <laughs> I, know the, I know the drummer does. He's my brother. <laughs> okay, so what happened was, of course, the children of Israel went to Mount Sinai, and what happened? They got the Ten Commandments. They eventually, you know, they had the whole rebellion there, and then they got to the place where there was the jumping off point that they would enter in the promised land. They sent the spies out. You, you know the whole story. Ten of the spies gave negative reports. They decided not to go into the promised land. God said, okay. Bad choice, eh, eh, wrong. Uh, and what happens? 40 years of wandering through the desert before they could enter into the promised land. 40 years. For 40 years, that's a long time, y'all, 40 years. Some of, the, some of these memories I just gave you were about that long, or maybe you're getting close to it at least. So for 40 years, the children of Israel wandered through the desert. Eventually, 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 they finally, 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 uh, Scott entered into the promised land. Wow, finally, after all these years, after all these years, they finally entered into the promised land. Joshua chapter 5, let's, let's hear what happens. Verse 10, something interesting happens. This is, this is before even uh, Jericho. Verse 10, while B'nai Israel, while the children of Israel camped at Gilgal, 
they observed Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, matzot and roasted grain. Verse 12, important verse. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten of the produce of the land. B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, had manna no longer, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan that year. Mm. Beloved, there's a spiritual principle here that we all have to understand in our lives that will really help us mature. Mature spiritually, mature in our walks, mature in our relationships, will help us grow, will provide healing to us, will provide shalom to us if we understand it. Get ready. Here it is. God will provide until it is no longer needed. When two and a half to three million of our Jewish people were traveling through the barren desert, he provided food for them with the manna. But eventually, finally, we entered into the promised land. And once we were there, God no longer needed to provide manna for us. It was time for us to mature as a people as we had entered the land and it was time to inherit the land. It was time for us to grow crops and livestock and inherit what God had for us. And so the manna stopped. You know, friends, there's a reason that most people don't ride a bicycle with training wheels once they've been riding a while. They're no longer needed. You see? They're no longer needed. And to continue riding with them is not only no longer necessary, it could actually inhibit your growth in riding a bicycle. Do you you see that? You don't have a lot of your professional BMX bicyclists (laughs) jumping ramps with training wheels on. (laughs) That would be an entertaining sight, right? Right? You, You don't see that. Although it may be easier to ride a bicycle if you're just riding it, so if you have the training wheels on, but it will stunt your growth in riding the bicycle if you always have the training wheels on. 2 Kings chapter 4, please. 2 Kings chapter 4. Interesting, interesting. I want you to start letting this principle sink into your spirit a little bit. There's something very rich here for us. 
We're going to hear a story about Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4. Some of you know the story. We'll think about it in relative to this topic in particular. Verse 1, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. Elisha, of course, the great prophet of God. And so here's a woman coming up to him. Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared Adonai. Now the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Uh Uh-oh, she was in debt. What should I do for you? Elisha asked her. Tell me, what do you have in the house? She replied, well, your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow for yourself vessels from all your neighbors, empty jars, not just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and behind your sons and pour into all those vessels, the oil, setting aside what is full. So she left him and shut the door behind her and behind her sons. They kept bringing the vessels to her and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, She said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there isn't another vessel. So the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. So he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. Then you and your sons can live on the rest. Mm. God will provide until it is no longer needed. The creditor was coming to take the two sons of this devout widow who loved the Lord. They had this debt. But God provided a miracle through Elisha, the prophet. And the oil kept pouring and pouring, and that oil kept pouring, and she got more jars pouring. It's like, man, that must have been a great moment, right? I'd like to see that one in virtual reality in heaven. Can you imagine the, 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 the moment where she reached the second jar filling up? You know she had to freak. Can you imagine her facial expression? <laughs> then the oil stopped. Amazing, though. Pretty amazing. I'm going to tell you something. We needed Hezekiah Jacobson at Beth Hillel. We needed Hezekiah Jacobson. I remember this guy. Wow, he was intimidating too because he was, he was very tall and he was kind of a husky big fella and he had kind of a, one of these rich, deep voices. And, uh, and we were so small, y'all. Uh, Beth Hillel was just tiny and uh, just literally, you know, a few families, really. We started with nine families. And, uh, and there weren't many of us. I remember this, this, this fella here, Hezekiah. Understand, there was no, there, there was no Messianic Jewish Siddur. Like, it's not like that we didn't have any. None existed. There was no Messianic Jewish Siddur so that we could follow along in a service and kind of figure out what we're going to do and use. No, it didn't exist. In fact, there were only a handful of Messianic congregations that were having a Shabbat service in the world. 
when we when we started Bethlehem, y'all, I remember with with my uh, parents, <laughs> there was no pattern. We, we we couldn't live stream to see what somebody else was doing. <laughs> there was no live stream. When we started, the closest Messianic congregation to us was in Fort Lauderdale. That was the closest. Second closest was in Maryland. Those were the two closest Messianic congregations to us when we started. There, there, was, no, there was no pattern. God sent us this elderly Jewish scholar, Hezekiah, this, this, this man who understood, but he loved his Messiah. In fact, he was one of our very first service leaders. You know, Mark is, is leading the service today. Mark, one of, one of the sets of shoes you're standing in today is Hezekiah Jacobson's. He led the service. He didn't give the message. My father always gave the message. But he was our, one of our very first service leaders. May have been the first, but one of our very first service leaders. Like what Mark, and, and let me tell you something. There is just no, no doubt about it. I remember even as a kid, he brought serious gravitas to our service. Because this, this dude knew exactly what he was doing. And so, you know, some of the other people in the congregation were like kind of looking around. What are we... But man, Hezekiah knew what to do. He knew what he was doing. It was so helpful in our early years. But then, once things got going, he was gone. You know, in your life, friends, and watching online, we got a lot of people listening on the podcast too, Challenging times are going to come. Challenging times come. It's part of what this planet is, is all about. We have these things. We have these trials. And sometimes when challenging times come, God will come and give you just what you need. And when he does, wow, Baruch Hashem, oftentimes it's very timely. Again, it may not be exactly the way we would want for it to be. Our wants, maybe. But he'll give us what we need. And it will be helpful. And when he does, it'll feel almost like manna from heaven sometimes. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there in your life at one time or another where you've had challenges. And then suddenly God provides and, and it may be physically, but it may be spiritually, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally. It could be in so many different ways. But just God comes in and, 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 and helps you with some kind of manna from heaven. And it's such a blessing and it's such a relief. And it's like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Right in the midst of the challenge, the Lord shows up to provide some some help, some, some shalom, right? But friends, don't be surprised if that manna eventually stops. Because God wants to mature us. 
He wants to mature us. He wants for us to grow. And sometimes that can't happen if he continues to give you manna. Matthew chapter 14. Yeshua was on the the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I was just on the the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee. The place where we stayed at was actually on a kibbutz, was actually right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you could go out of your room right into the Sea of Galilee, which you guys did. I saw you guys uh, head into the Sea of Galilee and were swimming around in there and saying hello to all the fish. (laughs) And, uh, And so we were just here exactly where this is talking about. Yeshua was on the shores of the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee, and but they were in an isolated place. And there were many, many, many people there listening to Yeshua's teachings. And so Yeshua was teaching, and there were throngs of people, many thousands and thousands of people in an isolated place on, on the shore. And we read this, verse 15, Matthew 14, 15. When it became evening, the disciples came to him saying, this place is isolated and the hour is already late. It's getting late already. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Yeshua said to them, they don't need to leave. You give them something to eat. I can just pause for a second here to say, wow. Can you imagine their reaction? Like, what, 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 what did you say? There's thousands of people. I imagine they probably had to look at him like, probably half of them were thought maybe he's joking. And then maybe some others were just incredulous. And then some, you know, probably thought, oh boy, here he goes again. Watch out. Something's going to happen here, you know? Oh boy, what's going to happen there? Because that can't happen, you know, when Yeshua. Okay, verse 17, uh, they replied to him. They said, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish Hmm, to feed thousands, they said to him. Verse 18, bring them here to me, Yeshua said, ordering the crowd to recline on the grass. I like that. You know, why did he do that? Hey guys, sit back. (laughs) I love that. He took the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he offered the bracha, the blessing. After breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. 12 baskets. Now those eating were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Wow. Wow, what a story, Godfrey, right, man? The, 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 the famous miracle of the fishes and the loaves. I, there's, a, there's a place that honors that right on the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there with me as well. Yeshua, wow, he multiplied the, the fishes and the loaves to feed thousands of people. He provided, he knew they needed to eat, right? That should sound a little familiar. Yeshua provided until it was no longer needed. It was a miracle for sure. People call it the feeding of the 5,000. That's wrong. 
because it's plus the women and children. Let's say there were 10,000 plus there, maybe 15,000 Jewish people back then, maybe 20,000. <laughs> From five loaves of bread and two fish. Friends, from five loaves and two fish feeding 10, 15,000 people, that is more efficient than a Chick-fil-A drive-thru. <laughs> Man, boy, the Chick-fil-A drive-thrus, they're getting really good, aren't they? They got these double lanes, some of them, and they're bringing it out to the car, and it's like, you, you almost don't even have to stop. It's like, just go like two miles an hour, and you can just keep going. Just Hey, they give it to you on the way. Oh, oh, there it is. You throw it in the car, they keep moving. <laughs> They got some efficiency going with them chicken. Woo. The point here, friends, is that God provided. But not indefinitely. He didn't provide them food the next day. Right? He provided until it was no longer needed. My brother could tell you, my mom was wise. My mom, blessed memory, man, she was wise, Miss Dottie. She was wise. She prayed for wisdom on a regular basis. She was wise. She knew that I was starting to make a little money. <laughs> I had the fancy degree. I was working for the Coca-Cola company. Rebitson and I didn't have that much yet, but mom was teaching me a lesson. I, I didn't get it at the time. I didn't particularly appreciate it at the time. <laughs> but mom had provided lunch and dinner my whole life. But then it was my turn. And although I was shocked in the moment, <laughs> like shocked, like, what did she just say? What? She knew that it was no longer needed. And that it would mature me to start paying for these meals myself. It would teach me about responsibility and about generosity. Friends, sometimes I wonder why God does some of the things that he does. Listen, if we all love him, why do we all have to struggle in life so frequently? In different ways we struggle, right? But God is refining us. He's teaching us. He's growing us. He's showing us to be dependent on him, but not always dependent on the things that he gives us. Did you catch that one? 
like a good parent, he knows when it's more healthy for us to struggle to learn things than to become complacent and plenty. And I'm not just talking about material things. I mean, areas of our lives where we need to grow up some. It's not always easy. Let's face it. It's a bit scary the first time those training wheels come off. I mean, it's so visceral that some of you may have a memory of the first time you rode a bike without training wheels. I mean, you, you, I, I kind of remember myself. I mean, the, the handlebars were like, you know, just as you were going, you know, you're just trying to compensate and not fall, right? They're turning back and forth and, and, and it's, and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You don't have training wheels, you know, or the parents let go of the bike, whatever, if they're holding onto the back of it, running with you, the, the seat, and then they let go. Whew, it's scary, man. That's scary. I'm sure, I'm sure it freaked out some of the Israelites. The first day there was no manna after 40 years. <laughs> because yeah, they complained about manna at some point, but on the other hand, hey, listen, that was, that was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that was their food. They could depend on that. They didn't have to wander. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to go plant. They didn't have to, to, to fertilize the crops. They didn't have to do watering and, and, and the management and the weeding and all that. They didn't have to raise cattle from the time they're little babies and keep them fed and get the hay and do all that. No, they didn't have to do any of that. They just, they just had to go outside and, and scrape up the manna. And so can you imagine that the first day, you know, Joshua probably said, no, we have no manna today. <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> Some of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when Joshua said that, you got to know that, that, that some of the Israelites were like, whoa, whoa, what did he say? Whoa, hold on, what? Hold on, what did he say? And they were like, yeah, I didn't think you liked manna anyway. No, I don't like manna, but, but what did he say? Hold on there, what, what does that mean? Hold on, what, what does that mean? What's, what's going on here? It's, it's, you, know, it's, you know, you absolutely know that some of those millions of people the next day got up and, and was looking on the ground trying to scrape rocks. We're like, where's the manna? Joshua said it's not going to be here. And so, you know, they were freaked out a little bit initially. But they were in the land flowing with milk and honey at that point. God wanted them to move into a different season, a more mature season of their lives. We have to trust the maker. Trust the maker. Even if it's, you've been doing the same thing and God's been blessing for 40 years, like he did the children of Israel with the manna. Wow. See, if you understand that, friends, I'm going to tell you something. If you get that, if you get this message, it, would, it is going to bring you peace in a season of difficulty in your life. 
It will bring you a sense of peace when you're struggling and you don't understand why. It will bring you a sense of peace, shalom, in your heart when something's always gone well, whether it be finances or a relationship or your health or whatever, and then suddenly it's not. And you say, well, why? I don't... The Lord will provide until it is no longer needed. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's always easy. The children of Israel then had to plant those crops. <laughs> they had to raise them cattle. But that was the maturing that God was looking for our people to make. Here's a great postscript to the story, though, as I was studying it and weighing into it and being blessed by it myself. Here's a great postscript. The nature of God is generous. Indeed, he stops providing when it is no longer needed, like I said. But check out what happened in each of these three examples that I gave you today. Once I put them together, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yes, the manna stopped. But interestingly, Dr. Susan, the manna did not stop the day before they entered the promised land or even the day they entered the promised land. It was just after that, the day after they ate their first meal from the produce of the land. That's so interesting, isn't it? So they ate from the land and it was not till the next day that the manna stopped. Interesting. In other words, he gave us just a little extra manna, just a little extra to carry us over and to show us I'm still with you. In the time of Elisha, the oil was needed. Why was the oil needed? Very clearly, the woman made it very clear. The oil was needed to get the faithful woman and her sons out of debt. That was the purpose because they were going to take the sons as slaves. She just wanted her sons not to be slaves. That was why she needed the, the oil to, to pay off the debt. That was the issue. Yet we read that the oil that God multiplied was enough to pay off her debt and then give them some bonus funds to live off of too. A little extra. In the time of Yeshua, there was enough food for all 10,000 people. But it said there were 12 extra baskets of broken pieces left over. <laughs> A little extra. You got to know the disciples chowed down on that the next morning. <laughs> Beloved, that is the nature of our God. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature for sure. But he also reassures us that he still cares for us and does not abandon us. Let's conclude with Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31 as we prepare to close. Mm. I love this. 
(laughs) Remember Moses' charge to Joshua when he was about to lead them into the promised land. What did Moses tell Joshua? He told him a number of powerful things. One of the main points he made was in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Let's hear what Moses said to Joshua. Verse 8, Moses says this, Adonai, he is the one who goes before you, Joshua. He will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Do not fear or be discouraged. So, Chavarim, when things don't go your way, or when you maybe feel more on your own, maybe a security blanket (laughs) has been removed from you, maybe a great blessing has run its course, And the manna has stopped. If you're ever in that place, don't think that God has abandoned you. He has not. And he will never abandon you. Why? Because God will provide until it is no longer needed and his presence in your life is always needed. The title of my message is God's Provision. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anyone here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as their Messiah. If that's you and you've never committed your life to God, but you'd like to. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you've never said yes to Yeshua, never committed your life to him, but you'd like to today, you can raise your hand. If you're watching online and maybe you've never said that prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, then repeat this simple prayer after me and the Lord will touch you. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. God, I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God, for your provision. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you're watching online or on the podcast, please send us an email. We want to celebrate with you. If you're here in person, please see me after the service. I want to celebrate with you. Oh, your presence, Lord, that's what we need in our lives. Lord, I pray for all the rest of us, God, everybody else that you will provide for us. But God, yes, I pray for your provision, Lord, but understanding the depth of your provision is such that you'll provide until it's no longer needed. And Lord, when it's no longer needed in our lives, God, in a certain area, give us the the tools, the strength, the perseverance to be able to make it through, to grow and mature, Lord, in the ways that you have for us and to inherit and inhabit that which you have for us next. And to be able to tell others of your faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, that you never take away your presence from us because we always need that. Mm. 
Thank you, Lord, for the peace that that brings. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts and give you thanks for this service. We ask these things, B'Shem Yeshu, in the name of our Messiah, Yeshu, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Shalom.